Alrighty. It's always an honor to be with you guys tonight and teach God's Word. Um, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Matthew 7. As we conclude the Sermon on the Mount. How many weeks have we, have we been uh, studying the Sermon on the Mount? Two months. It's a lot. Uh, I came across this short article in Forbes, and I wanted to read it to you. Okay? It says... No matter where we are or where we come from, a strong foundation is critical for growth. This is uh, said by Christina Greer, an assistant professor of political science at Fordham University. And she shares this story. On the one hand, they, the students, want to be the CEO without doing all the work it takes to get there. They want to be a paid intern before learning the ropes. They sometimes deliver C-level work and want to receive an A. There's a lot of I want without putting all the work behind it. She says, I worry about them, taking shortcuts. When I was younger, I took a pottery class. Prepping the clay is a necessary step. Listen to this part. In the production process, it removes the oxygen from the clay. But it's boring, time-consuming. And got in my way of making the more interesting items like vases and bowls. After my relentless complaining, the instructor told me I could skip the prep and make whatever I wanted. I made the bowls and the vases. And I put them into the clint, which is where kill, which is its made. And that's where everything I made exploded. I made the, because I didn't prep the clay. I didn't respect the steps that needed to happen. I tell my students this story because they need to realize that they need to build a sturdy foundation. Now, this applied to the Christian life. Hearing God's words, listen to me, hearing God's words and not acting upon them is like taking shortcuts and creating these clay bases. It literally will blow up in your face. We still, uh, we will see this more in detail as we study Jesus' final exhortation on the Sermon on the Mount. So with that said, let's start reading Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. And God's word says the following. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall. For it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you for this wonderful day that you have given us in your grace. Thank you, Father, for the wonderful salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins and making us right with you. We are sorry that we offended you today in any way, shape, or form. Help us repent. Help us change our ways to always honor you, God. In this moment, Lord, as we study your precious word, 
Help us understand it. Illuminate the scripture to us and that we can apply it to our lives. Help us meditate on your truths day and night. Thank you for this privilege of studying your word and doing it here freely amongst my brothers and sisters in Christ. It is in your precious name that we pray. Amen. So if, for those taking notes, uh, basically this is the outline for today. Uh, one final exhortation of true repentance. Okay. The first bullet point, the exhortation. Verses 24 through 25. The second bullet point or the second um, uh, segment we're going to talk about is the judgment. Verses 26 through 27. And last is the authority. Verses 28 through 29. Okay. So we got the exhortation, the judgment, and the authority. The theme for those that are writing notes is the following. As true kingdom citizens, we need to hear and act upon God's words. As true kingdom citizens, we need to hear and act upon God's words. So later on, we divide in small groups and they ask you, so, you know, what you guys learn? Oh, that true kingdom citizens need to hear and act upon God's word. I mean, like, you need to, like, there's a reason why we do a theme or a main idea for you guys. So at least you can, when your parents ask you, so what you guys learn about? Yeah, we learned about Matthew and the two foundations and basically, you know, a true kingdom citizen needs to hear and act upon God's word. Okay? Who remember what Drew talked about last Wednesday? Let's all read it real quick. Uh, please start from verse 21. Somebody want to read it out loud? Yes, Owen, go ahead. Says to me, Lord, Lord, when you the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will return. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Amen. So, what did we learn about that Wednesday? What was the point? Why did we learn about those verses? What can you take away? It's very important because they're very related to what we're learning today. Anybody want to give it a shot? Huh? Okay, false prophets. We talked about there is there are teachers out there that teach not the right gospel, not the right Bible, their interpretation. We talked about that. Not everyone that says Lord, Lord, right? People who both uh, say the same profession of faith or grow up in the same church and one stays in on the on, on the ways of the Lord and the other one doesn't. And how does that even work? Or how many believers or how many people think they're believers in a church and they're really not? Right? And then we, we what was our exhortation? What did what did Drew tell us to do to do what? Okay, what is one of our commandments to do? What is one of our you know purposes in life as a Christian, as a believer? What are we to do with what we have? Are we going to keep it? Or are we going to shine a light to the world? Are we going to be salt up to the world? What are we going to do with it? We're going to what? This means speaking something out of your mouth. What are you going to do? <laughs> Evangelize. Evangelize. Share the gospel, right? Make sure that when we share the gospel, we share the complete gospel so people can not be confused so that when that day comes, they're like, hold on, I thought I did all these things and I thought I was saved. And nobody, you know, no, you're not. So when we preach, we preach the entire gospel. So it is within this context that Jesus continues and gives one final exhortation in this sermon for true repentance for those who were listening to him. Let's look at the first exhortation. Well, the only exhortation we have here, verses 24. Therefore, if ev therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them 
may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. All right, therefore, everyone who hears these words, basically, he's talking to everyone is hearing the same message. And I want you to remember that because we're going to come back to that. Everyone is hearing the same message. These words of mine. So look, looking into this, right, and preparing, there were two ways these words of mine were related. I initially took it. I, these words of mine are a culmination of the entire Sermon on the Mount. All the way from the Beatitudes to loving your neighbor more than yourself and to you know loving your enemies. Everything we've learned about. There's some commentators that took it that way, that these words of mine, meaning the entire sermon. Other commentators, which are, which is the way we're going to go, and the way uh, MacArthur and Pennington and Carson, which are people that I use when I when I uh, prepare these lessons, they go, it's not, these words of mine are not the entire sermon on the mount. These words of mine are the immediate context of 21 through 24. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord. Okay, so within that context, and and. To go with this, let's everyone turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke, cha Luke chapter 6, verses 46. It's basically this, the, the same sermon, but in Luke's, under Luke's account. Dr. Luke says it this way, okay? Once you're there, let me know, or just look up, and I'll know that you're there. Look at what Dr. Luke says. He says in verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and cannot shake it because it had been well built. So you see how Dr. Luke immediately connects it with not everyone that says, Lord, Lord. And he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And then here, back in uh, Matthew, what does it say? Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, but who? But those who act and do the will of my Father. Amen? And acts on them. So, guys, I, not, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. These words right here is literally the sermon today. It's the message, the lesson. It's basically the Christian life and acts on them. It's that simple. The Christian life is about acting, not just listening, but acting and acting in a, in a way that honors the Lord, obeying his commandments, which we're going to get there. OK, those who act on God's words are considered what wise may be compared to a man, a wise man. OK, what is the wise mean in the Old Testament? What is being wise, a wise person mean in the Old Testament? Not knowledgeable in itself like we know it, but what type of knowledge? Yes, so God's commandments. So a wise person is someone who follows God's commandments in the Old Testament. If you're a wise person, because you follow God's commandments and his word and his commands. Okay, that is a wise person. The house represents the Christian walk. So those who live a fruitful Christian life are the ones who hear and act on God's word. So build your house on the rock. The Greek is bedrock. Any solid, unweathered rock located at any angle, including the size of a mountain. So you guys are from Texas, or maybe if you're from Florida, you know you, you can only dig so much. Because you dig 
eventually you're going to run into limestone, okay? Yeah, so there's not like, you, you can't have basements in Florida because it's just, it's not deep enough. You either went into water or limestone, either or. Here in Texas, you have something called clay, which messes up your foundation. I didn't know that. But yeah, watch out with your foundations. And when you buy a house, always look for the foundation. So this rock is basically the limestone that I'm talking to you about. It's, it's, it's uh, the, the Greek word is that bedrock, that over the sand, over the soil. Once your soil, it, it won't go anymore. That's the bedrock that it's talking about here. So what is this bedrock symbolized, right? And before we go to the rock, going and building, right? Let's uh, Luke um, six forty eight. He says he is like the man. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when flood and when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So what does that mean? Well, guess how sometimes how many feet they had to dig to get to the bedrock in Israel or Palestine? Sometimes up to 30 feet. Can you imagine that? 30 feet of digging under the hot sun until you you reach the bedrock. And under that rock is where you start building your house, your pillars. So basically what it looked, what it would look like, you, you, I, I'm assuming you put these long wooden cedar trees or, or whatever, and then you would, on, on, those, on those pillars, then you would fill it up again with rock. So that way, you, you guys play Jenga, right? I mean, the, the stronger the foundation on the bottom, the less it's going gonna, it's gonna to move. The deeper you go in, it's like a fence. When you build a fence, you, you just got to dig deep. So that pole that stays doesn't move around because it's so deep, it's stuck, and it's found, and it's strong. That's what it's, that's what it's getting here. So what does this symbolize? So the man is going to build his house. He's going to sacrifice. He's going to toil. He's going to dig. He knows what he's getting himself into. He's counted all the costs already. It's not something that is easy. Because it's not. Because we're going to see, because the man who did not do this and just built it on the sand, great was his fault. So who is this? Who is the rock? What do you think the rock is? I think that the wise man building his house on the rock refers to a Christian basing their faith in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Unlike the foolish man or common evolutionist, because sand always shifts. They're always changing, like, oh, there's a new period, flood level or water levels receded. That's how they're accounted for the Baja sand or the Whopper sand, the big oil deposit. It's incoherent. Okay, that's a way to see it. But in this case, we'll get to in, we'll get to that part in a second. But right now, who do you guys think is the rock that the house is built on? Yes. Yes, Owen. How did you get to that? Okay. Anybody want to go more theological? Where, where do we? Why is he called the rock? Come on, guys. We know this. What? What do? What do Catholics kind of like really take out of context when it comes to this verse? Not, not salvation. Anybody? No? Nobody wants to give it a shot at the rock? Yes, why? 
and there was a rock that was moved. No, no. But yes, thank you. I guess the connection there, guys. Everyone turn your, your, your Bible to Matthew 16. Verses 16 through 18. This is when Jesus asked his disciples, this is what people say who I am, but who do you think I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I will also say this to you. I will also say this to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Upon what rock? Is it Peter? Upon Peter he will build the church? Because that's what a lot of people believe. He's the first pope. It says it here. But that's not true. That's poor hermeneutics. What is the rock? Upon this rock. What do you take it? It's, it's right there what we just read. It. What is the rock that he's talking about? Try it out. You. Yeah, you. you. Tell me. What do you think the rock? After what we just read. Shoot it. What comes to your mind? Right here. Verse 16. Cooper? Read 16 real quick for me. Uh, verse 16, chapter 16, verse 16. Simon Peter answered, mm-hmm. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, you are the Son of, of the living God. So who do you think, what's, what is the rock? God. How do we know that? Upon this rock, I will build my church. He's referring to verse 16. You are the Christ. The son of the living God. The church is built upon Christ. The son of the living God. So the rock is Christ. Amen. We'll go even more. And what is another word for Christ? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with. And the word, and the word was. So the word of God is the rock. Okay. Are we clear on that? I was kind of excited because I was like, man, this is what I've been taught. This is what I've learned. And when I saw MacArthur say the same thing, I'm like, all right, we, we good, we good. All right. So the rock is Jesus. And Jesus is the word. Therefore, the rock is the word of God and the words that he gave. So the ones that follow, meditate, and do what is said there will be found standing. As the house is found standing. Amen. Verse 25, and the, rain, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. The Greek word for flood here means the overflowing of rivers. So it's a river overflowing, and it's just devastating everything in its, in its, in its way. Okay. The Greek word used for wind here is the same one that's used in Matthew 8, 26, when Jesus is telling the storm to come. Slammed against, translate to encounter something with great force or violence. Did not fall, translate to did not suffer ruin or defeat. So the storm here in this immediate context represents the final judgment day. Keep it in context with Matthew 17, 21 and 23. On that day, 
right? Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, on that day, meaning judgment day. This is the context. Those who act on God's words will be found standing, saved. Okay? This is very important. Works will not save you. Only Jesus can by grace alone and faith alone. But let me ask you a question. But the question of the hour is, how do you know that you are saved? See, many many have opinions on this, right? And what they think. But what do we value here in North Bible? What are what are what are two main distinctives? How have you got how your scripture? So it's not like what do I have to say? No, what does the Bible have to say? Right? What does the Bible have to say? So based on this, what does the Bible have to say when it comes to knowing that you're saved? Right? Let's start with Matthew twenty-one through verse twenty-two. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of who? My Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform any miracles? And what does it say? Be away from me. Only those that what? Only those that what? Only one, come on, only those that what? Obey. And do the will of the Father. Right? So, works will not get you into heaven. These Christians who made a profession of faith, they went to church. They served in ministries. They helped out when needed. They were not in gangs or in bars or the epitome of evil. When you look at TV, these are not this type of people. These are Lord, Lord. Meaning, at one point in time, they made a profession. I don't know about you, but I don't know any heathens going out and casting demons and not pro- and prophesying and doing all these godly things. These were godly people, quote unquote, doing godly. These were not your killers or your murderers out there, your gangbangers. This is not them. These are people within the church at one point in time made a profession. Lord, Lord. So what was the problem? And you might say, well. Aren't coming to church and, you know, reading the word and studying, aren't those things that believers do? Yes. Yes, they are. So what do you mean? Where I'm confused. Don't be. Because the Bible is clear. Let's keep on reading. Many will say on me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform any miracles? So what are they basing their salvation on? Their works. Their works. Remember one time I asked you, you know, if you die today, you know, and you get to heaven and, and God asked you, why should I let you come in? What would you tell God? Remember I told you, if your answer is not, is, it doesn't begin with because God, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Your works won't save you. God saves you. Jesus Christ saves you. Your works will never save you. You see, when you see yourself and you you come to the point that you see yourself as a sinner in the eyes of a holy God, the only thing you can cry out is save me. Not what I've done because you just know that it's never good enough. You know, you know who who probably was one of these? 
You know how John MacArthur established his ministry? His thesis in work in college. You know who it was about? You know who he studied? Judas Iscariot. The, 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 the disciple who betrayed Jesus. For him, it was like, how can a guy live with the living Christ? Ah, sorry. How can a guy live with the living Christ? Be with him day and night for three years. Sleep with him, talk with him, eat with him, go on vacations with him, did life with him. He's still betraying. How is that even possible? was the heart. Judas, his heart was never there. He, it was more like, oh, this guy Jesus, he's going to be king one day. Oh, I got my, I got my, I, I got my position with him. Oh, and he's the one that in charge of the money too. Isn't, wasn't he the one with the, when, when the prostitute or the woman came and put that oil, that expensive oil and perfume on Jesus? He's like, man, we could have sold that and given it to the poor. He wanted to sell it and keep it for himself, right? Just saying, he's not, this is not a, Inspired. I'm just thinking here. This guy, was ne- his heart was never there. And guys, what have we been talking about? What What is the whole Sermon on the Mount about? What do we keep on, what does Jesus keep on bringing up? What? What is it? The inward, the condition of the heart. He's talking about the heart. The entire sermon is about your heart. Where are you? From the abundance of the heart speaks the mouth. All these Pharisees, all these hypocrites, Jesus is going against them. You think that outwardly you're so great, but inwardly you're decaying, you're dying. Wake up. You need a savior. And to be a kingdom citizen of this kingdom, you need to call out and cry for a savior. Works without faith is death, right? Go hand in hand. Because you can be outwardly coming to church, reading your Bible, you know, living a life here, we see you, and as soon as the doors go out, like nothing ever happened. You're, there's no, you know, your your life, you live you live your life like if there's no law. But you kind of like convince yourself, oh, I went to church on Sunday. I went to church on, on Wednesday. Hey, I had a good conversation with somebody. But your life, you continue living a sinful life without repentance before God. You only do it for show. And your heart is not there. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord. Just because you come to church. Just because you come to youth group. And you sometimes play a facade. God knows. People know. The, the Jews knew about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. It's the heart that counts. Is Jesus your Lord? Or is he just your Savior, your convenient Savior? Oh, of course I pray to God for what I need. Oh, of course I learned about God. I want to learn about God so I can be better. So my life can, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a man-centered area in your life where you just, God is your genie. But let's be let's be real though. I'm not saying that as a believer you won't sin. That's impossible. Of course you're gonna sin. 
That's the whole purpose of needing a Savior. We're going to sin. However, a true believer will not live in unrepentant sin, defying God without feeling any type of remorse. That's why repentance is key. The gospel demands us to repent and believe. And repentance is not that, oh, I got caught, I feel sorry. Repentance is, man, I offended a holy God. Uh, I talk a lot to Rocky. He's, 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 uh, he's in charge of the XL Ministries. He goes, in all my years of counseling, and I've been, and I've been, he said, I've counseled. Not once has anybody come into my office and said, hey, I'm offending God in this way. What can I do to be better? Because that's just not how we think. We don't think about, oh, I offended a holy God. We think, man, I just got problems with my wife. I got problems at home, at work, with my kids. Can you help me so I can have a peaceful, quiet life? Give you a couple of verses so you'll know um, what we're talking about here is biblical, right? John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 13, 35, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Titus 1, 16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. 1 John 3, 7 through 9, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sins from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, meaning God. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. This word practice is not saying no one who is born of God sins. No. We're born of God. We sin. He's saying no one who is born of God practices sin. What is the difference there? What is the difference between sinning and practicing sin in a biblical terms, in a biblical way? Yes. You're the only one. You're not purposefully sinning? No. Sometimes we purposeful sin and we sin unconsciously, consciously sometimes. Yes? Living in constant, unrepentant sin for amounts of time, rebelling against God, literally in his face, like, I'm not going to change. I don't care what you say. This is how I'm living my life, and I want to live it this way, and no one can tell me otherwise. I don't care if people come and tell me. I don't care if the church comes and tell me. This is I don't think is wrong, and I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. Do you? And this is for a while. Do you hear the word Lord anywhere in there? Slave of Christ. Are you serving your own, you're the king of your own life, right? You live your life how you want it, right? You don't want to bow your knee to anyone. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. What are you saying here? Yeah, that could have been you before, but now as a believer, that can't be you anymore. It can't characterize your life. You might struggle with some of this. It might come up once in a while, but it will not define you. It will not characterize you as a believer in Christ because 
you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. Amen? Any questions on this? I don't want anybody to confuse you. Those who act on the words are like a wise man who built their house on the rock. That when that storm came, the final judgment comes, he's found standing. And he's one of the ones that actually go to heaven. Now let's go to the rationale on why you have to act on God's word. Verses 26 and 27. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Guys, both, both men heard the same gospel. Both men heard the same message. However, one was wise and one was foolish. Two people grow up in the same church, maybe sometimes in the same household, maybe make the profession of faith at the same time, go to the same Sunday school, went to the same youth group. And guess what? All of a sudden, like the parable of the seeds, it seems to, for some, it remains, and for some, it wasn't the real deal. Matthew 13, verses 20 through 21. The one whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were never really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they never went out. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. It's sad, but it happens. That's why later on in the application, when we preach the gospel, guys, we preach the entire gospel. We preach the truth of the gospel, all aspects of it. We don't want people to be deceived on that day. I don't want you to be deceived on that day. We preach the word faithfully to its to what, it, what the Holy Spirit wanted to intend to its reading at that time. We apply it to our lives. But this is an important message today, guys. Foolish or wise. Act on God's word or ignore them. Your salvation is at stake. Foolish are those who do not obey God's commandments. These are some things that the Bible says about fools. Proverbs 1.7 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 10.14 Wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. Proverbs 12.15 the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Guys, you know what the sand symbolizes? Remember back, I think it was Chris who talked about the wide road, the easy road. That's what the sand is. See, two people hear the same gospel. Two people hear the same message. Two people are in the same church. One acts, one doesn't. They, all, they both try to act on the Christian life because the house symbolizes the Christian life and both are building a house. But what's the difference? The one who sacrifices it and acts on God's words, right? How, the, the digging part, right? It's not easy. But it's worth it. Calling Jesus Lord is everything. Slave of Christ, yes. Dying to myself, for sure. It's worth it 
That means denying yourself. Mark 8, 34 and 35. Taking your cross and following Him. It means something, guys. It's not just a game. I want you to be wise. God wants you to be wise. He wants you to act on His words. But not like the other guy. Coming to church, listening to it, but not putting it into practice. Spill it on the sand. Eh, I'll take the easy way. Eh, it'll get me there. You're a fool if you think that. You're wise if you act on God's words. It's not easy. It's not. Whoever tells you the Christian life is easy is lying to you. It's hard. And it's not promising of health, wealth, and prosperity. It doesn't come with it. But you know what? Life is hard in its own. But with Jesus, I'll take it any day. Being a slave of Christ, I'll take it any day. Knowing that my life for here to honor him, to glorify him, to die for him and everything that I do, worth it. What does Paul say in Philippians? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. As mentioned earlier, the storm symbolizes final judgment. Many commentators reference Ezekiel to come to this determination. Ezekiel 13, verses 10 through 16. This is what it says. I should turn your Bibles there. Ezekiel 13. So basically, just to give you some context, basically... It, the passage I'm about to read is about is false prophets prophesying false things to the people of Israel. Telling them, oh yeah, this captivity that's coming, eh, it's going to be done quick. Peace is on its way. We want the best for you. Don't worry, all Israel, you will be held. You will have health. You will have wealth. And you will have prosperity. Forget about your circumstances right now. Thus says the Lord. And we'll see how that ends. Ezekiel 13, verses 10 through 16. It is definitely because they have misled my people by saying, meaning the false prophets, peace when there is no peace. And when anyone builds a wall, behold, they plaster it over with whitewash. So tell those who plaster it with whitewash that it will fall. A flooding rain will come and you, all hailstones, will fall and a violent wind will break out. Behold, when they will, the wall, when, behold, when the wall has fallen, you will not be asked, where is the plaster? With which you plastered it. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a violent wind break out in my wrath. There will also be my anger, a flooding rain, and hailstones to consume in his wrath. So I will tear down the wall which you plastered over with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation is laid bare. And when it falls, you will be consumed in, the, in its midst. And you will know that I am the Lord. Thus I will spend my wrath on the wall and on those who have plastered it and over with whitewash. And I will say to you, the wall is gone and its plasterers are gone, along with prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and who see visions of peace for her when there is no peace, declares the Lord of God. Not only is a storm, not only does a house fall, but it falls greatly. Again, if the context is eternal judgment, where do you think you're falling into? Lake of fire, hell. There's no way to put it. Ones will go to heaven, others will go to hell.
Some commentators also mention the storm to symbolize that which tests the foundation of the house. Right? Our daily problems, our daily life, being a Christian in this world. How do you stand when it comes to these problems? A true believer will stand because he has the Holy Spirit indwelling him, giving him the power to do so. A false believer will not stand. And as soon as persecution comes, he's out. As soon as problems come, he's like, why did I get myself into? They promised that I would come to Jesus. Everything would be better. It's not even getting worse. I'm out of here. Why? The, the correct gospel wasn't presented. Two, they're foolish. The correct gospel was presented, like here, and you still, and you still are not going wanting to listen and act. That's our rebellious heart, guys. Before Christ. Last point we're going to talk about is the authority. When Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority, not as their scribes. Guys, the, the Greek word for amazed here means to become outstanding out, out, out to such a degree as nearly losing one's mental composure. They were going crazy over this. It's like, oh my goodness, who is this man who's teaching us these things? Finishes sermon, and like Dusty gives his application, right? This is how you're going to apply it to your life. Crowds were going crazy, but look at what it says here. He was teaching them as one having authority. See, that's weird because they're, these Jewish people, they know a lot about the authorities. Trust me, when you have a Pharisee and a Sadducee in charge of you, you'll know. Those are the ones that pray out. How great I am, Lord, that I fast. How great I am, Lord, that I pray three times a day. How great I am, Lord, that I give money to the poor. How great. These are, these are the leaders of the church at that moment. You don't know who they are. Yet the people were amazed at his authority. Why, why, why do you think that? Three things. Right there and then they became believers and placed their faith in Jesus. And just the Holy Spirit is telling them this is the Son of God. Whoa, that authority. Second, maybe they had to know a little bit about Jesus to know what he was practicing, what he was preaching. All the Sermon on the Mount, all the things that he's saying. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Oh, yeah. Oh, he did that when he was a kid. Oh, yeah, I remember him. I mean, he's That gives you authority when you practice what you preach. Or basically, it was how he only referenced the Old Testament. Sometimes the scribes of the time would reference other literary works of the time. But all he referenced was the Old Testament, the God of work, God of work uh, uh, the Word of God, and what did he also do? But I say to you, right? So they were amazed at his authority. And guess what? Jesus had the power because even though he was fully man, he was also what? Fully God. Fully God. And only a fully God, fully man person can accomplish all that was a Sermon on the Mount. He had that authority. To conclude, three applications. The first, check yourself to see if you're in the faith. What's the first thing we do when, when they ask us this? As, you know, people who struggle with, you know, sinful nature. <laughs> you start talking about others. You start thinking about others. Oh, yeah, that person's not a believer. Oh, yeah, for sure that person's not a believer. All right. Now, I'm telling you right now, God is telling you through his word, you check yourself to see if you're in the faith. You, this is your heart. To see if we are truly living a life that shows the fruit that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Not to be perfect. I'm saying that. But 
When you do sin, do you have a hate towards sin? When you do sin, do you feel convicted? Now that you've got power, man, you've offended a holy God, right? Do you love God's word? Do you love sharing God's word? Do you love coming to church because of the fellowship that you get, right? That you get to experience with each other. You can't wait for Sundays, for Wednesdays, anytime you're with a believer because it's just the Holy Spirit and dwelling in you and dwelling in them just connects us as a family. I didn't have to know Seth for a long time. He was a brother in Christ. As soon as I came to the countryside, he hugged me once. I'm like, I like this guy. It's how it is. A couple of conversations, like we're brothers and we're like, we've known each other for years. That's what God does. That's what believers, that's why unity in the body is so important for God. Guess what? And let's say you're not. What's the good news, guys? The storm hasn't come yet. There is hope. Let's say you're thinking to yourself, man, oh, this word is, 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 is getting to me. and I, I, it, It's becoming real to you. Well, the good news is that you can believe and repent and put your faith only in Jesus Christ for your salvation. So the day it comes, you're not saying, what do you mean, God? But I thought I went to church, but I, might, I thought I prayed in the mornings, but I thought, no. When the day comes, thank you, God, because you saved me. I don't even have to, I'm not even worthy of being here. But you saved me. You died on the cross for me. That's why I'm here. Because of you. Number two, very important application that I want you to understand and apply. Do not turn this lesson into a works-based salvation lesson. No way, shape, or form am I telling you that by good works, you're going to go to heaven. That is heresy. And the Apostle Paul says, anyone who adds to the gospel, be accursed. Again, I tell you, be accursed. I'm not saying that, and the word does not say that. This is not like, oh, but Alejandro said that I have to be doing these things that way for, for me to, to get saved. No, I'm saying that Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says what? By grace, we are saved. And this is not from us, but this is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one may boast. Well, what I always say, don't forget about verse 10. What does verse 10 say? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we walk, so that we would walk in them. Good works cannot get you to heaven, but guess what? They're a sign to assure you that you are saved. If a life of good works characterizes you, not perfect life, because I'm far from perfect. That's my wife. That's my kids. Far from perfect. But do I strive to honor God in all my actions that when I fall, I, fly, I feel bad because I offended a holy God and I ask my wife and my kids for an apology for my bosses when I, when I don't do what I'm supposed to? That's part of the Christian life. But good works are a part. Are, you'll know and what's another? Not, not only good works will show you. What, what, remember the uh, Philippians when we're talking about persecution? If you're persecuted, that's also a sign, right? That you're saved. So not only are the good works, but also if you're being persecuted and you stand that persecution, feel happy because you're, that's, a, that's God showing you, hey, you're, you're one of mine too. What is it the saying that uh, the persecuted church is a pure church? Why do you think that is? Yeah, yeah. No one's just gonna be like, yeah, I'm a Christian, 
And, you know, like Afghanistan right now, right? All these people that are professing Christians that literally they're going, they're going into houses and asking you if you are or not, and they're killing you right there and then for professing Christ. See, only a true believer will stand to the end. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is going to give you the power to do so. You can't, it's not on your own. God doesn't just save you and leave you. God saves you and he sanctifies you because you're already glorified. It's all, it, it all happens. So don't turn this lesson into a work-based salvation. Don't, so don't leave here saying, oh, I got to do good to go to heaven. The Bible says, check yourself to see if you're in faith. It doesn't say, do good works so you can be saved. Lastly, let's preach a complete gospel to those around us. Yes, we have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Yes, we know that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Yes, we know that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he rose from the dead, we will be saved. Yes, that is truthful and powerful and we preach it. But we also need to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, as Jesus in Mark. The first, first words he's going to preach, he's going he's to start preaching, those are the first words that come out of his mouth. And then the apostles in the, in the book of Acts, we must repent and be baptized. You see, salvation is belief and repent. It's the same coin, different sides. Salvation comes from believing and repenting. They both coincide. You have to believe and repent to be saved. It's not one or the other. What happens when it's a false gospel? They just focus on one. Right? And either extreme is bad. Just love is easy believism. Easy believism where ah, believism. believism. Where, just say the prayer, live your life like you want, and you're saved. And what's the other extreme of repenting? Works-based salvation. Oh, I have to live my life perfect because if not, I'm not saved. It's in the middle. Believe and repent. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith only in Him. But He also calls us to repent and turn away our lives. Because what does that mean when you repent? What do you make... What do you make God when you repent and you want to live for him? What is that? What do you what do you make him in your life? First. What is another word for first? This is sign language for the word what? No, sign language. Lord, yes. Lord. Lord. It's an honor to be a slave of Christ, man. So when you preach the gospel, do it boldly and complete. Amen? Let's pray.